we'll be looking at three points today. The personality of true wisdom. The person of true wisdom. And the peace of true wisdom. When I was growing up as a teenager and living with my parents, I often received many corrections and reproofs and tellings offs, right? As you do at that age and as you grow up. But one phrase always stuck out to me, a piece of advice that my dad always gave. He used to say, he that lacks wisdom, let him ask, right? He that lacks wisdom, let him ask for it. Now, that was my first encounter with the book of James. I used to hear that at least once or twice a week. <laughs> at the time, I didn't quite re- realise the things that I was doing that were unwise, right? Sometimes maybe staying late thinking that, uh, well, everyone else at the age of 17 gets to stay out beyond 8pm. Why's my curfew 8pm? You know, I felt like the odd one out. Everyone's like, why, why have you got to go home? It's 10 o'clock, you know? That was their curfew, right? On another occasion, my, my parents had, had enrolled me into tuition for piano lessons on a Friday, and it used to occur during one of my afternoon lessons. After a period of time, I, you know, I persevered, I enjoyed it. I was practicing at home. But there came a time I felt I was missing out. I was missing out on being with my friends and talking to them or just being in a lesson. So after a few weeks, I, uh, I went to the lady and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So I cancelled the tuition. But it was not till about a few weeks later that I actually told my parents and said, Dad, Mum, yeah, about that um, piano lesson, I, I've not been going for a while. And when your parents say, hold on, let me get your mum, repeat what you just said again, then you know you're in trouble, right? And that's how, exactly how it was. And I was like, oh, it's going down. But my dad always said, 20 friends cannot play together for 20 years. That's, that sticks out in my mind even to this day. It's a proverb. Must it be a Nigerian proverb? But the reality is those friends I thought I was missing, the reasons why I cancelled the piano lessons, they're not around now. They're not, there's no relationship with them now. What I thought was a wise decision turned out to be unwise, based on what I thought was wise, right? I wonder what you perceived wisdom to be. Where do you receive your wisdom? What wisdom guides your thoughts, your actions, what you say and what you do, your motives? If we look firstly at the personality of wisdom, this is what James is teaching us. Let's turn to James 3, 13 to 18 again. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is pure, is first pure, then peaceable, 
gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James poses a question to us. Who is wise among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? A challenge to the wise to demonstrate their wisdom by way of action, deed, word, and fruit. Who is a wise person? Who is skilled among you? Who seeks clarity? One that can apply the right knowledge at the right time accurately. The Webster Dictionary defines wisdom as knowledge and the capacity to make due use of that knowledge. Who is understanding among you? Where is the person that has grasped knowledge, retained it and processed it in a manner that is beneficial for that individual and others? Beneath the stance of your conviction, is there a strong basis for your standing? What underpins your convictions? If wisdom is the capacity to make use of knowledge or the application of understanding to correct conduct, then think of understanding as the power to use the knowledge that you have. Understanding is practical wisdom. This is the action that we see in verse 18. What wisdom and understanding, what is this about? What is it about? It speaks of the ways of God, who God is and his works. See, the other versions replace that word understanding with knowledge. But understanding is such a great fit here. It describes a fuller extension of not just knowing God's ways, but comprehending it and applying it to our lives. How does one prove they are wise and understanding? James' response is so clear and concise. Verse 13 says, by his good conduct, and let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If we understand part B of that verse 13 to be that the wise demonstrate good conduct, then verse 14 makes it clear that surely the opposite of, of such a person is what he then goes on to list, right? So if you look with me in verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Here we see a contrast. Here we see the corruption of wisdom, the folly of wisdom. The folly of wisdom is that sin has infected our body and our soul. The world has been corrupted. The true wisdom has been corrupted as we know it and been exchanged for false wisdom, worldly wisdom. The Adamic nature that we have inherited operates in the wisdom that seeks only selfish ambitions and desires. Even good conducts originate from a wicked and a bitter and jealous heart. We must note that a wise and understanding person demonstrates his works through the gentleness of wisdom. That's how we understand that word meekness. It's a gentleness to it. True conduct, true good conduct, 
is the correct application of the knowledge revealed through humility and gentleness. It's an action that benefits others. We consider others in submission to God. But indeed, this flesh that we are living in is adamantly against God, opposing God's wisdom, right from the original sin. The fall of mankind damaged the wisdom that was gifted to Adam, who named the animals, right? He worked the ground in Eden, communicated with God, even spoke poetry to his wife. Imagine that. Such great wisdom. But what we see in verse 14 is that seemingly presents as good conduct may be a false positive. The test for a kind word or preaching God's word or the help that we render to other people. It's tainted by our motives. Are they in the right place? Why are we doing what we do? What is truly in our hearts? I wonder if you have done something recently out of jealousy, out of selfish ambition. See, the wise thing would be to examine our motive and confess our wrongdoing. But what do we often do? We lie to ourselves, we cover up our weaknesses. Sin leaves us exposed. We turn to falsehood. Behind those good works, our motives are not always so sure. We often want recognition from others, don't we? We want people to say how good we are, the things that we have done so well, while really knowing our heart is not in the right place. See, this is what's described in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. James is saying, do not boast. Do not boast about any good you've done. Do not believe your lie. Do not be deceived. We're reminded of Paul's writings in Philippians 1, 17. It says, some leaders were preaching from envy, bitter jealousy, rivalry. They seemed to be preaching the gospel, but the motives were wrong. But Paul then, in that same Philippians, goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, the folly of wisdom is that there is selfish ambition, the exalting of our needs and our interests before others. It's conceited, excessive pride in oneself, and excessive, excessive vanity. But when we look at James, we see that jealousy and selfish ambitions are the opposite of the meekness he's talking about in verse 13, that meekness of wisdom. The wisdom of man determines to please itself. It's earthly, it's unspiritual. That means it's of flesh and it's demonic in nature. Why is there an emphasis on these two negative qualities, jealousy and selfish ambition? 
Well, we'll see that in, verse, in, in, in point three as we get there. But before we get there, we need to figure out what wisdom we ought to seek. What wisdom are we to understand? There is a wisdom that comes from above. That's what verse 17 talks about. It says, it is pure, it is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. There's a comparison here. James contrasts these in comparison to worldly, earthly wisdom. We are to desire exceedingly this wisdom that's from above. This wisdom that's pure, a character wisdom that speaks volume of the source, the intensity, the power, the holiness, the unchangeability and the uncontaminated nature of this wisdom. This wisdom is pure, um, it's, it's foremost pure, it's full of purity. There is no greater attribute than this. We see that James put this first, saying that all other things fall in line from the purity of this wisdom. It has no evil in it. It's not defiled. It is holy. And as a result, it's then peaceable with others. A quality of someone capable of offering peace. It is gentle. It refers to its reasonableness, an act of considering others fairly with a suitable and fitting disposition. It's open to reason. We seek to look at others and, and hear what they have to say. We're seeking the truth. We give them, a, give them an opportunity to speak. Then we can also respond. It's full of mercy and act to relieve others by demonstrating active compassion. Active compassion, not being reactive, but being active with our compassion. It's full of good fruits, full of goodness and life-giving qualities and abilities. It's impartial. It makes no distinctions, no respect of persons. Young, old, wise, otherwise, rich or poor. It's sincere, it's without hypocrisy, hypocrisy, honest, truthful. What you see in that person is what you get. There is no pretense, it's genuine. So the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above is so pure. Where shall we find this wisdom? Where is the place of understanding, Job says? It's not in the land of the living. It's not here on earth. It's not found in the sky, the seas, the things that God has created. It's not even found in the, in the elements in the ground. It's not found in gold or pearls, in riches. This is our second point. The wisdom from above is a person, a character, pure, sent down from above to us. As we look at point number two, the person of true wisdom. 
See, verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. See, at the center of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition lies a nucleus of three components. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, because it's of this world. It has no gain outside of this world. It's ingrained in this world system. It's unspiritual because it's based on our emotions, sensuality, things that we feel. It controls the flesh and its actions. It's demonic in nature. Satan is at the heart of this. It's at the heart of this activity with evil power, evil signs and wonders, teachings of demons, deceitful spirits. This wisdom is not from God. It's not from God and it's therefore not good. James reminds us previously as we've looked at that goodness is from God. Goodness is being relative to his purity and perfection. We look back at chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 that says, Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no change in God. He remains the same yesterday, today and forevermore. See, the gift of wisdom from God is a good gift and perfect gift. See, worldly wisdom at its core is boastful. It perceives and only wants selfish ambitions and, and achievements. It often twists falsehood, twists reality into falsehood. It boasts in one's ability, boasting in lofty speech or wisdom, boasting in our conduct, boasting in materialism, boasting in inquiring what we have no need for, boasting with the tongue. This is most especially the context here. As we looked at previously, that our tongue controls every part of this body. This small tongue, as a rudder controls a massive ship or a boat, right? This tongue is so powerful to control the body. This earthly, unspiritual and demonic wisdom beholds falsehood. It's an attack on God's truth. We see so many subjective truths around us in this world. We see right from the beginning, Satan deceiving Eve with this wisdom, the cunningness. Christians find it difficult to discern false teaching. Jude speaks of this, speaks of those who have crept in unnoticed. Speaking a different gospel, man's gospel. Do we have ears and understanding to know when we're hearing falsehood? This wisdom seeks to please man, but yet in the name of pleasing God. We live in such a dog-eat-dog world, so competitive. You say and do anything to attack us. The media just wants to attack people's character, stain people just for the sake of it. We live in an environment where at work, in order to get a promotion, you often have to do something or say something about someone else to degrade them so that you can be elevated. 
Sometimes we come to church seeking a godly partner or missing the fact that God is the husband of his church and seeks to win our heart for his glory and to know him. The worldview determines wisdom through the lenses of philosophical understanding and knowledge, making everything about rationality in our thoughts. I was sent this quote once by a Christian. It said, the mind is so powerful. What we believe is what we manifest in our lives. So believe that you are valuable and worthy and strong and loved and joyful and brave and unique and powerful beyond measure. Now for some people, they can, that's how they start the day. For someone else, maybe they received that message and they were, yes, I'm ready to go for this day. I'm empowered. But as I read this message, I, I was so upset and disturbed. This message had no substance to it. It sounded so wise and rational and so engaging. And yes, this is how I can go forth in my day. I'm great. I'm mighty. I'm strong. I can do all things. That's how it sounded. But there's no basis. So I sought to address this quote with a person. We spoke on the phone. And there was I trying to persuade them, saying, this is not of God's word. This has no basis or root in the Bible at all. Do you not see this? Open your eyes. I said to them, trying to persuade them what the Bible actually teaches, which is that our hearts actually feast what our heart feasts on determines our belief system, which then governs our action. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. But the key is that the transformation and the renewal of our, of our minds is based on God's word. Not what we say about ourselves, but the reality of what God says about us. But sadly, as I responded to this person, I was thinking I was wise, seeking to correct this person. And I challenged him. But in my challenging, I was not peaceable. <laughs> I was not gentle. I was not open to reason. I was not willing to hear what they had to say before I responded. In fact, I spoke over them. I was not full of mercy. We're often like that. Even in the things we are trying to achieve, our wisdom, this earthly wisdom, this unspiritual wisdom creeps in. But there is a wisdom that is from above, that is very good, that is so perfect. Jesus, who is perfect in all his ways. Do you know him? Do you know who Jesus is? The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word and his power. He was and is and is to come. The word that dwelt with God the Father, who exhibits who God is, his glory, his might, his splendor, his nature, his power. 
God's glory, speaking of, is relating to the wisdom of God's presence and God's nature relating to the wisdom of God's personality and God's power, the wisdom of God's omnipotence, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Jesus Christ, in him dwells the fullness of God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. He is the wisdom from above. Colossians 2, 2-3 says, That their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is the mystery that, Jesus, that, that Paul talks about? He's talking about Jesus. What does he possess? He possesses all understanding, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. James asks again, and I ask you, and I ask myself, who is wise and understanding among you? Do you see that Jesus has fully upheld and satisfied this question? When you read it the first time, it seems it's about us as people, but who has satisfied this question? Only Christ, the wisdom of God. In his condescension, he put on human flesh to fulfill all righteousness. He restored us what was lost in Eden, that wisdom that was lost. He restores it in himself. Jesus, the wisdom of God, is full of all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In his death on the cross, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, our saviour, our redeemer, our, he exchanged our sins Sins of disobedience and that had robbed us of true knowledge of God, that robbed us of his presence, that robbed us of, his, of communicating and communing with God. Jesus, the fountain of all knowledge and wisdom, he has revealed this to us. Who has revealed his good works in the meekness of wisdom? Jesus had the mind of humility. That's what Philippians says. Not having selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility he came fitted in this frame, this, this body, to suffer for sinners like you and me. He served those who he created. Fully compliant to God's will, his purpose, to the point of death on the cross. Why? to save souls that God had ordained in his sovereignty. How can we qualify this meekness of wisdom? We don't have to look too far. Verse, verse 17 helps us with this. Jesus is the wisdom from above. And the characteristics we had looked at in the first point ring true, very true in Christ. Jesus displays the spiritual wisdom fully. At Jesus' transfiguration, we remember in Matthew 17, we see a picture of his purity. We see that Peter, James, John were present there. And Jesus, as he was transcended and transfigured, he, he, we see that his clothes became white. His face shone like the sun. What a picture of his purity, of his character wisdom. Now, the same John who was present there at the transfiguration, 
along with James and, and Simon Peter, they witnessed this great significant moment where Jesus is talking to Elijah and Moses. But only Jesus remains. When Moses and Elijah are gone. And then John says this in 1 John 3, 2 to 3. He says, beloved, beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The purity of Christ. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. A peace that surpasses all human understanding. A peace in life and in death. Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of Jesus not breaking a bruised reed. The gentleness of Jesus. A wick about to disappear from its flame. He puts and cups his hand around it and fans it to flame. God of mercy. Jesus fully obedient, depending on the Holy Spirit. He's full of mercy. Our sins, that song says, our sins are many. His mercy is more. The mercy of God is revealed by his crushing blow on the sun, on the cross. For sins that he did not commit. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We see this in the life of Christ. Jesus is full of good fruits. We see this in Ephesians. In Christ we are loved, we are chosen, we are holy, blameless. We are adopted into God's family. We are redeemed by his blood. We are forgiven by his grace that we have freely received. But it ends in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 to 9, according to the riches of his grace, which you lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is he, God, set forth in Christ. The wisdom of God was set forth in Jesus. Indeed, we know that Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit as he walked on earth. See, Jesus grew. We often just, we must understand that Jesus was a baby, but he grew. He grew in obedience and understanding and dependency on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was his companion each day, teaching him. God made known his wisdom as Jesus grew in his dependency on the Holy Spirit. Jesus is impartial, God-wise. A respecter of no persons. Remember that the scripture that says not many of you were wise. Not many of you were of, of a great reputation. Jesus, God, in his son Jesus has come to rescue us. 
Jesus sat down to eat and to chat with the worst of sinners. His ministry, both to the Jews and the Gentiles, reconciling in his death and his, his resurrection all types of people. He was impartial with all kinds of people in society, lepers, demon-possessed, hearing-impaired, the mute, the poor, the rich. Jesus loves and saves to the uttermost as he makes intercession for us, an eternal high priest for sinners. Jesus is sincere, full of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His way is the way of righteousness, brothers and sisters. His truth is objective. There is no subjectivity to Christ's truth. So why should we ponder much on the wisdom of Christ. What difference does that make to us? This is our third point. The peace of true wisdom. We've looked at the personality of wisdom, the person of wisdom. We look now at the peace of wisdom. See, Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, and it rings true even today. As you grow in Christ, rooted, built up, established in the faith, he says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Take care of human traditions. Take care of those who are getting married of human traditions. Does it, is it upheld by the word of God or not? Husbands, how we deal with our wife. Wives, how you deal with your husband. What wisdom are you operating in? Children and parents, what wisdom exists in your relationship? It's so important. What you, think is not, what you think is wise now, consider what your parents are saying. It's so important. They have walked further. Listen to those words of advice. They stand you in good stead. Take care of those Harry Potter books. <laughs> they seem full of wisdom, but you've got to be careful. Some people enjoy zodiac signs thinking that their lives can be determined by the stars. Maybe someone has given you a blueprint for how you can make your next million. Cryptocurrency, let's go. Maybe someone has reviled against you despite your good conduct to them. We need wisdom in many ways. But why should we not be led astray by worldly wisdom? See, James provides an answer in verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. See, the consequence of earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is chaos. What we see around us is chaos, all sorts of disorder that we see in this world. The murdering of unborn children 
so-called pastors burying themselves in the name of the word of God and say, in three days I'll rise again. It's foolishness. It's demonic. False teachers leading many astray. Sexual immorality that is so rife in various forms, sweeping this nation. The malpractice that we see at work. The breakdown of family life. Schools prioritizing money over teaching the kids values and morality. The sin of envy and selfish ambition is of the devil. We see how it affected Adam and Eve right from the start, perpetuating a loss of intimacy with God, that disconnection with the presence of God, and thus ultimately pronouncing death. That's what happened, death. But if that's where the story ends, then that's, that's only condemnation. That's not what you've come here to listen for. That's not where the story ends at all. See, earthly, unspiritual and demonic wisdom leads to sin. And the Bible records that the wages of sin is death. But spiritual wisdom, the wisdom that's from above, the wisdom of Christ concludes with peace with God. Peace with God and with peace with other people. And we see that in verse 18. It says, And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who make peace sow peace. They live in peace with others in the church, outside of the church, those around them. As much as is reasonable, reasonably possible on your part. Thus leading to the fruit of righteousness. But what is this relationship between righteousness and peace? I, cons- I prayed and for my brother and sister here this morning. If you are here today, you do not know Christ. Yes, Christ seems like a likable character. He seems plausible. You enjoy, yes, coming to church, but you haven't denied the wisdom of the world. This wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, is of the flesh, it's demonic. You're sadly in the camp of the enemy of God. It's a fearful thing to be against the Lord. See, the chaos that you see in this world does not compare to the wrath of God that will be poured out against those that are unrepentant. So I implore you this morning, seek Christ. Seek the wisdom that's found only in Christ. Seek the peace of your maker. Seek peace with others. We can't truly live in peace with others unless we have received the peace with God and the peace of God. It was God the Father's wisdom to save sinners by the death of his son on the very tree that brought death to us. His son was nailed to that cross. Our sins were nailed with him. 
Christ, the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. Turn to this peace. Turn away from worldly ways. Turn away from the chaos. See truly and behold the beauty of Christ. Wonders come down to be like us, yet walk this earth in a manner of righteousness, of purity, for your sake and my sake, so that we can be right with him. Turn from the chaos and turn to his saving work on the cross. Only the mind of Christ leads to righteousness. The world teaches us to have a mind of our own. The mind that we truly need is the mind of Christ. What he has done for us to live holy, to live righteously by his work, his finished work on the cross. To be right with God is to be at peace with God and to live in peace with others. So my brothers and sisters here this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, remember this, in life, in death, we are confident. We are confident of the power and the wisdom of God in eternally securing us in his presence. Beloved, we are God's children now. Those who are in Christ are God's children now and for eternity. We have the eternal peace with God. The moment the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit is applied to you through the work of Christ, being credited into your account, you are his forever. There is no change. I conclude on this scripture, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The wisdom that comes through suffering. The wisdom that comes through death. The wisdom that comes through depending on God. The wisdom that comes through the challenges of life that God brings our way to shape us, to direct us, to conform us and to mold us into Christ. The wisdom that comes to train us into righteousness, that trains us to obedience in Christ. Seek these things. As a horse is trained, as James says in previous verses, as you train a horse with a mouthpiece, the Lord is training us, training our words, training our deeds, training our hearts and conforming it to him each and every day. It starts with this word. What are you seeking that you cannot find in the word of God? It's sustenance, it's food. It's life given. In life, in death, we are eternally secure by the wisdom of Christ, what he has done for us. We do not lose hope. We remain steadfast. We remain faithful. We remain as people that are of his, those that have been adopted into his family, those who are righteous and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, those who do not hold back to speak the truth in love. We can be peaceable by still speaking the truth. 
those who comfort one another, those who hold one another in Christ. Hold each other accountable, pray for one another. That is true wisdom. Therefore, live in this peace. Live in this peace as you have received through Christ, knowing that the proof of your good conduct, your righteous conduct, is through the meekness of wisdom. Amen.